Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Orlando Soccer Show. It's been two weeks since we did a show last, and a bunch of things have happened on the Orlando City and Pride fronts. So we are back to break it all down as we get ready for the start of the regular season in just a couple weeks. That is kind of crazy that it's literally just a couple weeks away. So uh, with me, I am Austin David, first off. With me is someone who has been uh, on leave for a couple months, but we are happy to have back. It's Kyle Foley. Kyle, welcome back. Where? Where? Nobody told me that guy was coming on today. (laughs) What a punk. Yeah, it's good to be back. Glad to glad to be here. Get ready for the start of a new season, and yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. We'll talk some talk some soccer. Very excited. Talking some soccer today. Orlando City and Pride, full on into preseason preparations. Uh, more Orlando City than Pride. They've just finished their first week, and Orlando City's already played two scrimmages. So we will talk a little bit about that. What's happened in those? Two scrimmages, one against Minnesota, one against Dallas. Uh, The Pride have released their uh, Challenge Cup schedule. And since our last show, they've also passed a collective bargaining agreement for the NWSL Players Association. Uh, They've made a couple trades and signings. And uh, we're going to introduce a new segment on the show today. Uh, It's called Where Are They Now? We're going to revisit some former Orlando players from USL and MLS days and see, hey, where the heck are they? What have they been up to? Uh, And then we'll finish out with something we haven't done in a while, but because Kyle's back, obviously we have to do it. It is weird news and red cards slash playing advantage, where we basically share weird news uh, that has been happening over the course of the last couple weeks and red cards slash playing advantage, which is stuff that we are upset about or stuff that we want to maybe highlight that is being good in our lives. So uh, without further ado, let us begin by talking about Orlando City. Scrimmages. Two have happened so far. One got canceled. Two have happened. Uh, The NYCFC game that they were going to play was canceled from what I have heard because uh, Orlando City didn't necessarily want to go up against NYCFC having had a week of preseason going up against the defending champions. So they decided, you know what, let's just give them a week off and uh, NYCFC was happy to to take another opponent. But Orlando City ended up playing two scrimmages this past week with uh, roughly the same lineup. And we'll talk about the lineup in a second. But the Thursday game against Minnesota United, uh, I was at for the first 15 minutes and got to see a little bit of it. But uh, there's only so much you can kind of see in 15 minutes. Got to see a goal. Uh, Urchan Kara, the new designated player that Orlando City signed within the last time of us recording, uh, beat a player down the line, crossed it in. Benji Michel was sitting right there. And taps it in for one nothing lead. A couple minutes later, uh, they get beat on the counter and uh, concede. It was 1-1 when I left. It ended up being 5-4 to with Minnesota scoring the game winner in the last seconds of the game thanks to a trialist uh, who I do not know who it was. So that was the first game. And I'll talk about the lineup here in a second because it was roughly the same one as this game that they just played on Saturday. But the Saturday game was a full 90-minute game. Fans were actually allowed to attend all season ticket holders, I believe. And it was a nice little time because it was the first time that they've actually played a game at Osceola Heritage Park, which was the converted baseball stadium from when the Florida Fire Frogs played there. Now, Orlando City trotted out the same lineup, which was, well, roughly the same lineup. In the Minnesota game, they had... Robin Janssen playing at center back. And then in the 
Dallas game on Saturday, they had young Thomas Williams, a 17-year-old homegrown player who just signed last year, hasn't really played much, but uh, he signed when he was 16. He is now 17 and uh, has had a little bit of a growth spurt. So he's a little bit taller than uh, he was when he was 16, which is crazy because he was already like 6'2". Now he's 6'3", borderline 6'4". So the rest of the lineup shaped out as Mason Sadahar and goal for the first two games. Uh, Juan and Jaumutinho as the fullbacks. Uh, Rodrigo Schlegel as the other center back. Then here's where it gets a little interesting. Mauricio Pereira was playing in the defensive midfield alongside Cesar Araujo, one of the new Orlando City U22 initiative signings. And then in the 10 spot, it was Alexandra Pato. The wings were Benji Michel and Sylvester van der Vader. And then up top was Urchan Kara. Now, again, the, the, it was an interesting lineup because Mauricio was an eight. Uh, definitely interesting. You know, he's he's more of a uh, attacking-minded player, and there were moments where you, you would want a defensive player in that position, a more defensive-minded player. I think they like Mauricio in that eight position because he can distribute from deep-lying midfield positions. But I just don't, like, from the two games that I saw him play in it, he just looked a little bit out of sorts. And then when he switched into that number 10 role later in the FC Dallas game, he looked so much more comfortable. The offense actually opened up a lot more. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's necessarily that Mauricio is not right for that position. I think it's more that Pato isn't playing that 10 spot necessarily. They don't really have, because he likes to roam. Urchankara likes to roam. There's nobody really set in the middle. And I think what works is when Mauricio's in the middle, they pass to him, he passes out wide, they start getting forward. And that's what worked in the FC Dallas game in the second half when Mauricio moved to that number 10 spot. But I digress. Um, in that game against FC Dallas, they lost one nothing, So they've lost two games in preseason. But as we all know, preseason games do not matter. And I feel like we, we've probably repeated that every single preseason game that we've been doing this show, right, Kyle? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we post that Will Ferrell meme. Remember, these games don't matter. I think the important thing, though, that you're kind of talking about, with, with especially with looking at players playing out of position, that's kind of the cool part about preseason, though, is you get to take these low risk. Obviously, you can't read too much into things happening in preseason, but it is interesting to see... Um, you know what are what are players capable of outside of their regular? Where can they fill in? Mm. Especially in MLS, one of the big things that, that a team needs in order to go far is is depth and quality of depth, and so being able to handle injuries or international break call ups and things like that. So being able to move players around and find, hey, even though this isn't their optimal position, how capable are they of filling in in this position? Is interesting to see in the preseason. It's like one of the perfect times to test that out because it doesn't matter if anything happens. If if you if you lose six nothing in a preseason game, someone on Twitter might care, but in reality nobody cares. It's just an opportunity to, to try out something different. So to kind of mix some things around and try it out, and especially with bringing in new players and and using some homegrown players and some younger guys, getting to try things out, it's it presents a lot of interesting opportunities to explore the depth going forward. And and Orlando City history and just MLS history in general, that's something you have to be able to do if you want to compete in this league. 
Yeah, and it's kind of crazy when you look at the the depth chart right now for Orlando. Obviously, the the lineup hasn't been really set, and the depth chart hasn't really been set either. But when you look at how many players can play in the midfield, it's kind of nice to see because a lot of times last year you were like, hey, who's going to play the number 10 if Mauricio's not there? Well, now you have Pato. And then if Pato gets hurt, you have Andres Perea in a pinch, who did a lot of last year, but I feel like he's more situated as a number six or a number eight rather than a number 10. Then you have Cesar Araujo, who's come in now. You also have Junior Urso, who uh, he hasn't played in the preseason games, which I believe he's got a knock of some sort. Uh, I'll have to get with Oscar about that a little bit later, but he hasn't really featured in any games. Um, you got some of the younger guys that are up and coming like Thomas Williams and Mikey Holiday. They just got called up for the U20 camp, which was something that I talked to Thomas about after the game on Saturday. Um, he's just a sponge, man. Like he just, he likes to learn. He, he listens to everybody. That's kind of the, the general feeling I got from talking to him. And again, he's 17 years old, a really promising talent. And he didn't look overwhelmed playing against Dallas. Usually when you're like, you look at Tommy Redding, right? You know, when he started playing, he was 17 years old. You know, he was signed as a homegrown player out of the academy, not Orlando City's academy, but that that's a whole other story. He, you know, he got his time in USL to be able to kind of acclimate and then go into MLS. And you know, he had moments where he looked really good and moments where he uh, looked a little bit overmatched and it never really worked out for him. But I think that's more because he was focusing on other things that were more than soccer, not necessarily because he wasn't capable. I think he was capable. I think it's, it's just his his passion wasn't necessarily for professional soccer. Um, and that's why he's now retired. But I think another thing with Thomas is, you know, he's got the size and the ability to be able to play that position, but also he's got a bit of composure around him. Like some of the, the challenges he was going into, they didn't look like they were rash. It didn't look, look look like they were, oh my God, I really have to stop this so I don't get in trouble kind of thing. It was more just like, I read this play. I'm reading this challenge. I'm going in very smartfully and tactfully. And heck, when you have a young center back who's making those kind of challenges, you're, you, you kind of raise some eyebrows. I mean, he's getting called up to the U20 camp at 17 years old there's obviously something that other coaches see there as well and having talked to oscar about him he's extremely happy both with mikey and with thomas but with thomas you know being how young he is it's always something to to kind of shine a light on and say hey this kid's gonna be good uh, but outside of thomas williams you know he's the the, the team didn't look terrible i know the result was one nothing they haven't really scored they scored four goals against Minnesota, but that was more of their B team against the B team. So there's, I don't know how much there is to really take away from these games. Uh, you got to see some of the draft picks play. Some portions of their game were kind of like, yeah, you know, you could play, but realistically they're, they're still on trial right now. And uh, there, there's nothing really to, to say about them. Uh, I will say, though, for Brandon Hackenberg's sake, because we haven't talked about him, um, if you remember, Kyle, he was drafted out of Penn State in 2021. But I do recall. Instead of coming to Orlando, he decided, because of how COVID worked and everything, he decided to take his super senior year and stay for one more 
run at a college cup. Uh, ultimately, that didn't happen, but his eligibility for Orlando was still there. They invited him to preseason, and he ended up coming in as a left back to start the second half of the FC Dallas game. So you got to see a little bit of him. He's a big guy. Um, I don't know where he fits in the team as of right now. I think that it's possible that you could see bits of him, but I think one of the notable things, we didn't see Nate Dos Santos at a Marshall. Uh, he did not end up coming into the game. That could be also because of a, a knock that he sustained, but um, who knows at this point right now. Some of the other players that we saw, and this one's notable, Alex Freeman, who played right back for the second half of the FC Dallas game and scored a goal in the Minnesota United game. From what I've been hearing, he is on track to become a homegrown player for Orlando. Uh, he's tall, he's quick, he's got good footwork, and could be challenging for Mikey Holiday's right back spot as a backup behind Kyle Smith. So like fourth tier right back or fullback in general. Um, he can play as a fullback or a winger. Um, from what I've been told, that's they're looking at him at, at basically the entire right wing. So eh, there, there's potential for him, but I don't know how much you see of him early on if he signs and when he signs. Uh, outside of that, the, the big news that came out of the scrimmage was Urchan Kara. Um, he got hurt in the 30-somethingth minute and um, got treatment on the field, could not continue. Tesho Akindele had to come in, and he was carted off the field. Now, from my vantage point in the press box, it looked like he was grabbing his knee. And because it was the complete opposite side of the field and where the press box is at OHP, it's where the old press box was for the baseball stadium. So imagine where the Yankee Stadium press box is. You're basically miles away from the action unless it's coming close to you. So the injury happened at about midfield, which was far enough away for me to think he's grabbing his knee. But it turns out he was grabbing his ankle because he has a sprained ankle and it's considered day-to-day -day according to the club. Which is good news because uh, when you're grabbing your knee versus your ankle, very, very different kind of injury. So that is what Urchan Kara is dealing with now. He will probably miss most, if not all, of preseason and maybe the first game. But, hey... What's preseason without an Orlando City injury? Especially from a promising new signing yep. that everyone's excited about. And almost immediately they're injured and it's like, oh, well, crap. Are we actually like what's going to as soon as I saw the tweets about a potential knee injury, I was immediately like, oh, God, here we go again. And mm. thankfully, thankfully, it was not that bad. Yeah. Well, Pato got his out of the way last year, so he's he's good to go. Knock on wood. Anyways, uh, Orlando City is going to be spending the next couple of days in Port St. Lucie to get away from Orlando, try and be a bit more proactive in terms of getting their guys into shape. Uh, this will be kind of like what they've done in the past where they go to Mexico for a week or two, uh, except this is a bit more shorter timeline where they will go to Port St. Lucie just to train and get some fitness going. Because realistically, they've, they've kind of gone through the motions here and gotten guys acclimated to the team, but they haven't really done full fitness like they've done in the past so i think that that's 
partially what they're going to be doing in Port St. Lucie, but they'll probably be doing a lot of other uh, tactic-related things just to kind of get the guys away and focused on soccer only, get them away from their houses, their families, etc., and out of their comfort zone as well. But that's only for a couple days. So they left today being Monday. They're there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then they're back Friday to play a open scrimmage against the Colorado Rapids, which will be at Exploria Stadium, open to fans, not just season ticket holders. So anyone can go if you'd like. Uh, but for season ticket holders, it is free. So there you go. Ah, okay. Uh, let's see. What else is going on in Orlando City that I haven't talked about? They're going to be having one more preseason game that is open to season ticket holders. That is the Miami FC game that will be not this week, but next week. But again, that's only season ticket holders, and that's also at Osceola Heritage Park. So outside of that, that's really it for Orlando City, as far as, you know, big news is going. Um, oh, did I forget something? I did. You know what I forgot, Kyle? What did you forget, Austin? I forgot the biggest signing in Orlando City history. Tell me more. Yes, Facundo Torres officially signed for Orlando City. He is with the team. He is practicing and is joining the team in Port St. Lucie in order to, uh, you know, get acclimated to his new team. So just off his uh, new call-up for the Uruguayan national team, didn't end up playing in any of the qualifiers, but getting called up is still something, especially for a team like Uruguay. So very good to to see. Um, You know, he's most expensive signing in Orlando history. And that goes to what you and I have talked about before, and we talked about this back when the the sale of the team was going through. How much is this new ownership group going to be willing to put in to invest into the club to make improvements? Is this talk of of wanting to invest in the club, wanting to do this, is that all lip service from new owners wanting to appease fans, or was it genuine, real talk? And it looks like it's real talk. Some money has been spent. Obviously, money was brought in, but money, some real money has been spent to bring in some real talent here. Um, man, it's like, I'm excited. I'm really excited that we're bringing in guys that aren't. And, and we're, it's interesting because there's really been two main routes that big money signings have gone for MLS over the years, right? It's either been you spend a lot of money on like an old or not a lot of money but like in salary i mean you spend a lot of money on like a proven older guy who's maybe nearing the end of his career but can still come in and dominate for a couple years right and orlando city has especially kind of leaned towards those more high profile signings or you have the guys that are hey they're like 18 19 like we don't know what they're gonna be they've got a lot of potential we're gonna see and those are really hit or miss and what orlando's done both with with faku and um was it Kara? Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm bad at pronunciations. It's, it's my only you, hesitation. You, you, hit, you hit it right. You hit it right. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to say anyone's name wrong, uh, which I've done many times before. You're not. You're not bring, as bad as Gavin. Just, just know bring that. In, bring in because Kara's Kara's a little bit older, right? And not not as much of a high profile sign, but is a guy who clearly is going to come in and, and the objective is dude, you got to score goals, mm. right? But but with Faku, you're bringing in someone who has been proven already at a pretty competitive level 
in Uruguay, playing for a historic club over there and also playing for their national team, which they are a top national team. They have produced some top world-class talent even very recently. And so that's that's a place where just being in the mix for a national side like that is a really big deal. And so bringing in someone who's, you know, it's kind of that middle ground of you're not necessarily bringing in the um, – Ma- like the Nani's of the world or the Kakas of the world where it's, hey, they're, they're a really famous name, but they're definitely on the back end of their career. But bringing in someone who's like, yeah, they're they're getting their name started. Like they've already made a name for themselves. And this is clearly a stepping stone, but like they're ready to come in and compete from day one. Mm-hmm. This isn't a guy where you have to worry about, is it going to take time for them to be good? You know, we don't know what they could do yet. Like we know what he can do. And, and even to, to an extent, we know what Kara can do. And and he's he's older and and more mature, and so that should be an easier transition as well. Like, these are really solid signings, good money spent, not just spending money to spend money, but spending money efficiently and in good ways that that are really going to pay off for the club, both on the field and off. Mm-hmm. I, I'd be shocked if these investments don't pay off. Well, obviously there's always a chance, but I would be. I mean, expectations are high for Orlando going into this season, and they just lost some of their best players in the off season. In losing Nani was in DK, and even we talked about Chris Mueller last season was not as great, but had been a great player for the club. Like you lose guys like that, and to replace them with things and looking at the team and going, yeah, the team got better. <laughs> like the team looks on paper like a better team. Now the question is, can you translate that to on on field success? And so I think it'll be, I'd be more surprised if it doesn't work out well. Yeah, I mean, again, on-paper success versus on-field success is something that Orlando City fans are well familiar with. Just look at 2017. What a year. But again, the the, the hope is good. The, uh, the fact that there's been some history of success now, is that there's something to build off of when you're Orlando yeah. City. Yeah, the last couple of years have been pretty good. And like talking about like previous expectations and not living up to them, previous expectations have been like, we'll maybe compete for a playoff spot. And expectations this year are like, could compete for a spot in, in the MLS Cup final. Yeah. Like, it's, uh, it's a huge, could compete. Could. I, could compete. Yeah, yeah. Hear me, hear me saying that. I'm saying could compete. I'm not saying they're expected to to make it there. I'm not saying they're they're a contender to win. I'm just saying th- this is a team that if you see at the end of the season Orlando City playing in the final, it's not going to be outrageously shocking. It's also not going to be the end of the world if they don't make it that far. Right. Like making the playoffs and having a good run is a is a successful season. I think, but there is the possibility for things to be better than that, and that's not really happened before and so that's a that's a big deal honestly the biggest thing that Orlando City need to do is stay healthy like that that's the simplest thing if the team was healthy all of last year they probably would have finished a little bit better than where they ended up and that's where depth comes into it talked about and bringing in younger signing like Mm -hmm. having having these homegrown guys who can start to you were talking about that earlier and a lot of that too I think is a testament to the rise of standard in the Orlando City Academy, which we were expecting to see when you bring in a coach who was known for doing that in Dallas, bringing up the young guys and and investing in that. But when you start to change your club culture to, to focus on things like that, you're able to bring in signings that can augment what your team does. And you're also able to bring up young guys that are good enough to fill in the gaps. 
And that's the key to a successful team in any soccer club around the world. It's not just Orlando City, and it's not just in MLS. It's something worldwide. The most successful clubs are able to do that. They're able to augment the signings that they bring in with homegrown players in a way that is able to work. And the, the most successful teams do that well, and Orlando's starting to get to the point where we look at some of these homegrown guys and we go, oh, yeah, they can play. Not just like, oh, yeah, they can fill in when, like, every other team is also missing their starters because it's an international break and MLS refuses to, to recognize them because it's a backwards league mm. at times. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? But, like, but like, hey, this guy could fill in and, like, a, 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 could play in a really important game and we wouldn't be freaking out. And so getting to the point where the club is able to produce players like that is a really good testament to to what they've been able to do behind the scenes as well over the last couple of years. And those things take years to pay off. You don't see the payoff in those things right away, but we're starting to see it now, which is really good. Yeah, and honestly, there's still a lot more to come in terms of the Youth Academy because right now in the Development Academy or the, the MLS Next, uh, you only have U17s and U15s from what I've heard through just some rumblings is that they're trying to add U13s and U11s so they can start getting guys more acclimated earlier and eliminating the pay for play for those age groups because right now ages under 11 and under 13 you have to pay to be in the soccer school so a lot of young talent gets left out because either they can't afford it or their parents can't do it or whatever but if you're in the MLS Next program, it mitigates that. And I think that's one of the big things that not only Orlando City as a club want to do, but also the coaching staff and the owners in the Wilfs, they want to invest more in the youth of Orlando. And that is one big way to do it. So that you'll probably start seeing over the next year or two, hopefully, I think. But right now, like you said, there's there's five homegrown players on Orlando City right now. Benji Michel, Michael Holiday, Mason Stadahar, Wilfredo Rivera, and Thomas Williams. Uh, they actually lost a couple last year just, you know, because they, they really just couldn't cut it. <laughs> Sadly enough, um, you know, we, we talked about this a couple shows ago, but, you know, you have guys, guys like, um, oh, who am I thinking of in the midfield? Raul Aguilera, who came out of Orlando City B., uh, Jordan Bender, who's been with the clubs for, for years and years. Um, guys like... Uh, who else am I thinking of? David Loera. You know, those those three specifically are guys that you probably would have hoped would, would have worked out. But they got some time on the field. Uh, Jordan Bender, not as much recently. But they just... They didn't see it working out. So... They moved on to greener pastures. Uh, Aguilera has signed for India 11, and David Luetta has signed for San Antonio FC, joining former homegrown, well, draft pick, who basically should have been a homegrown, Santiago Patino, as well as PC, who's over there uh, in San Antonio. Meanwhile, Jordan Bender has not signed for a club as of yet, so that is something to potentially watch out for. When you mentioned making the changes to the way this MLS Next and this Youth Academy concept changes and make it so it's not pay to play for the younger gen like the younger age groups. That's that's not just I think Orlando City has been starting to change or needs to change, but that's like a US soccer yeah. problem. Like that's that's such a massive issue 
that is starting to change. Like MLS Next is making these improvements that are going to improve MLS, but are also going to improve U.S. soccer as a whole. Hmm. Which I so I think it's huge. I think the more age groups that we can make it easier for young kids to be able to come play in actually well-structured environments is going to be huge for soccer as a whole and making it you know gated based on how much money you can afford to put into it is is absurd so i'm glad we're starting to see those changes i'm glad leagues like mls are able to use the the absurd amount of money they they have comparatively you know to these families trying to have their kids play some soccer and be able to invest in the next generation of players and i think Long term, we're going to see this benefit MLS. We're going to see this benefit the U.S. national team, and we're also just going to see it benefit like human beings as a whole. Like a lot of them aren't going to pan out and aren't going to become professional players, but at least they're going to have these opportunities to play and and get a good soccer education and not be gated based on what they can afford to do. And so I think that's huge, and I'm excited to see what happens with that going forward. Yeah, and then not only with all of that, but also we've kind of forgot about Orlando City B coming back. That's going to give a whole new pathway to some of these youth players that aren't necessarily ready for MLS time, but are ready to make the jump to professional level soccer and to give them an outlet to be able to, you know, if they're on the cusp of that age group where they can't play youth, but can play professionally, but Orlando City wants to kind of retain their rights and make sure they stay within the program, OCB is going to be that destination for some of these kids. And and last year, they didn't have OCB. They had a U23 team that was playing in the uh, UPSL. Or was it NPSL? I think it was UPSL. Um, yeah, UPSL was where they were playing. And they actually did really, really well in that season. They were one of the best teams, but ended up losing in the final. So all things considered, you know, the, the, there are a lot of those kind of players that are playing in that team that were professional ready but not MLS ready. So this OCB and this MLS Next Pro League that's coming up starting in March will give those guys a pathway. Uh, in terms of what's going to happen and how they're going to do OCB, still don't know. Club doesn't even know. Uh, there are so many things that have to change uh, and have to decisions that have to be made at the head office of MLS before anything gets passed down to the clubs. But in terms of signing players or uh, hiring coaches, nothing's been done yet, and the league starts in just over a month. So, uh, flying on the seat of the pants kind of thing. But um, I think Orlando City B has an idea of who they want already. They're not going to be like, oh, God, we have to rush to get this roster done. They already know who they're going to be signing and who's going to be coaching them. It's going to be Marcelo Nevelef, probably. I, I would say 90% sure that he's going to be coaching this team as the head of the academy, as he has done in the past couple of years. So that that's all well and good, but time will tell what, what ends up happening with OCB. And even if fans are allowed to go to games, because, uh, you know, they're going to be playing at Osceola Heritage Park at the baseball stadium, but... They haven't decided if they're going to be offering season ticket packages or if they're going to be doing single game or how they're going to be doing any of that. So still a lot to be decided with Orlando City B. But let us move on from Orlando City in general and move on to the women's side of things into the Orlando Pride. Uh, first week of preseason is in the books. They are into week number two. And, well, they just released their Challenge Cup schedule which is very exciting. 
the Pride are going to be playing six games over the course of their Challenge Cup, and it's going to be uh, three games home, three games away. They're going to be playing Washington, Gotham FC, and the North Carolina Courage. And those are fun because, A, Washington is the defending champion. B, the Gotham FC team is where Allie Krieger and Ashlyn Harris are now. And C, the North Carolina Courage, well, I mean, they are still North Carolina until proven otherwise, I guess. They, they don't have their same coach and they've traded away some of their best players, but it's North Carolina. On paper, still North Carolina. Yeah. That is their technical correct name. So we can at least give them that. Yes. Legally, they are still North Carolina. <laughs> they still play in the same stadium, and they still play in the same state. So, yes, they are the North Carolina Courage, legally speaking. Uh, but arguably, I think that's probably going to be the weakest of the three teams that the Pride face in this Challenge Cup. From what I've seen from this team, and it's very, very little, it they're young. And I think we knew that going in. They're going to be a very young, very inexperienced team. And I think this Challenge Cup is going to be the perfect warm-up for heading into the regular season. I wouldn't expect too much out of this Challenge Cup. I think Amanda Cromwell and her staff are going to be testing some things, trying things out. So don't treat these Challenge Cup games with any, oh my god, this seems going to be terrible kind of vibes, but more just, hey, you know, they're trying new things and hopefully it'll be good for the regular season vibes. But the first time you'll be able to see the new look Pride, because it is very much a new look Pride, is March 19th, which is a Saturday, against the Washington Spirit. Now, this Challenge Cup goes from March 19th to April 23rd. Here's the thing. The um, the regular season for the Pride, it could start just after the Challenge Cup. Now, if they finish in the top portion of the Challenge Cup, they move into the knockout rounds and... Well, that could coincide with the regular season. So that's, uh, it's been a bit of a contentious point within the NWSL circles is that, hey, um, guys, the, the, the teams are, they're going to be playing another tournament within the regular season. So that's a bit tricky. So the original reporting was that it would be played at the beginning of the regular season. And then the playoffs for the regular season will be in October. 2022 campaign end in the 2022 uh, the NWSL Championship, the weekend of October 28th to 30th. Now, here's the thing. The tournament semifinal will be held May 4th, with the final kicking off on sun- Saturday, May 7th, which could coincide with a team's home opener. So say if Washington Spirit, they get it to the final. Right, And they have their home opener scheduled for May 7th, but they're playing away. You can see where there could be a problem there, right? Because you're selling, you're marketing your home opener for a day, and then all of a sudden, oh wait, no, we're away, sorry. Anyways, uh, games will be played uh, March 19th, March 30th, and April 16th at home, whereas the March 26th, April 3rd, and April 23rd games will be away should also mention Washington Spirit will be playing at Audi Field, where DC United play, and Gotham FC will be playing at Red Bull Arena. All locations where other professional teams play, as is Exploria Stadium, obviously. And even Wake Med Soccer Park. I mean, you know, North Carolina FC play there, but they've dropped down to USL League One. So, that's that. Other news for the Pride. Well, we talked about the 
Challenge Cup schedule, let's talk about the first week of preseason very quickly. Not much has really happened. It's it's a lot of, hey, how are you? I'm so-and-so. You're just meeting everybody, basically, and getting acclimated to the team. Uh, when I talked to Amanda Cromwell last week, she basically said that every day is going to be something new that they focus on. More like every week, there's going to be a theme overarching training, but each day will be focused on something within that theme. So, you know, if, if they're talking about movement one week, they're going to be focused on movement on the ball one day, moving off ball another day, you know, just passing and, and movement uh, within certain structures of formations and such another day. So they, they have it very structured out. But as of right now, Amanda Cromwell and her staff are, are learning as they go because they haven't they, they've done soccer training, obviously, but not necessarily at this professional level. Uh, there is a bit of comfort level with some of the players because Cromwell coached them at UCLA or through the youth national team back in the day. Uh, she coached Sydney LaRue back in 08 with the U20 national team. So there is some kind of cohesion within the coaching staff of, okay, yeah, I know this player. I'm not just meeting her for the first time. And even with Cromwell's draft picks that she picked up, um, she played against them. So she kind of knows what they're about. Uh, and speaking of draft picks, the Pride did sign a lot of their 2021 and 2022 draft picks to contracts. Um, outside of Mia Official, who's obviously playing in Mexico now because they couldn't offer her enough money, uh, they did sign one of the best players in college soccer last year in Cariabello, um, who was playing for Penn State. I'm sure you're happy about that one, Kyle. Wait, wait, almost call me Gavin there. Listen, it's been a while since you've been on the show, <laughs> so... Naturally, I'm just no, going with Gavin. So you're talking about all these, all these like draft pick signings. I'm actually probably more excited for the Pride than I think I've ever been. Which I know I'm, of the group of us on the team, I'm probably the the least, the one that's watched the Pride the least, mostly just because of availability to watch them. Like mm. it's up up until recently, they hadn't been <laughs> hadn't been easy to find their games to watch. But I I look at what I'm seeing and I see an almost a very similar trajectory to what Orlando city did starting to move away from this. Let's bring in these high profile players and hope things work and moving more into the, let's try to build a young squad. Let's, let's develop them properly and let's see how this pans out. And, and I, I always like when, when teams build up that way, I like that idea of let's, I, I don't love the idea of having the draft in, in soccer and, and, the u.s but that's a completely different issue <laughs> but finding these young players that you can bring in and develop i'd love to see orlando do more with investing in a in a uh, female academy like they're doing for the men's side i'd love to see that kind of money being spent there in the u.s just as a whole for women's soccer i'm not expecting it i'm not holding my breath i know how american sports work if it doesn't bring in a lot of money they just don't care about it which is ridiculous and absurd but that's Again, that's another discussion for another day. But starting to see this shift away from, hey, let's just bring in big names who who are really talented. But like Orlando's had big names for since the beginning, mm -hmm. the Orlando Pride, and it never worked out. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of expectations when you bring in those names, and if it doesn't work out, it's it's a really disappointing. So now you're seeing there's still a couple holdovers, and there's still some players with names attached to them that can really contribute. But instead of building a team completely around players like that, you're able to start bringing in younger players and, and really 
changes the mentality of the club. And so I think you're starting to see that mindset that you're seeing on the Orlando City side start to translate over to the Orlando Pride side. And I'm really excited to see it. And again, it's going to take time and there's going to be growing pains, but I'm way more excited for that than I am to see a club bring in a bunch of big names and go, hey, let's just hope this works. Right. And, and again, talking about the youth of this team, there's so many players on the age of 26, 26 or younger. It is kind of refreshing to see so many young, talented players to build around rather than building around Alex Morgan and co. Uh, right. I mean, if you look at some of the newer signings, Anna Morehouse, for example, I was going to actually talk about her. Um, they used some of the allocation money they got in that Alex Morgan trade to be able to sign Anna Morehouse to a two-year contract. Uh, Morehouse, a British national keeper. She's a player that I don't want to say she's not hit her like professional stride yet, but throughout her career thus far, she hasn't had necessarily a lot of playing time. Just over the last kind of two to three years, she's gotten more opportunities playing. She's never played for the national team, but uh, she's played for teams like Arsenal, West Ham, uh, came up through the youth in Manchester United, and uh, just for the last two years has been playing in Bordeaux in France, uh, played 24 games with them, and now is joining Orlando. Uh, whether she is the starting keeper is still yet to be determined. You assume if you're spending money on her and bringing her in as an international, you'd assume she's going to be the starter, but I don't want to say for sure just yet. Uh, outside of all of that, because they've, they've made so many moves since the last show we did, uh, they signed Caitlin Cosme. I mentioned Carrie Abello. Um, they brought in Megan Oyster, now called Megan Montefusco, because uh, she got married over the offseason. But uh, Megan Oyster came in, er, coming from the Houston Dash uh, in a trade which uh, fans weren't too happy about uh, because they traded Mercer Vigiano, one of the young, promising midfielders for Orlando. Uh, Mark Skinner was incredibly high on her, calling her one of the more important pieces of the offense, and now she is heading off to uh, Houston, but they get a good player in Montefusco who's been around not just NWSL for as long as she has been. At only 29 years old, she's made appearances for the U.S. Women's National Team, uh, played for the Rain, played for the Dash, played for the Boston Breakers, played for the Washington Spirit. She has NWSL experience, and she is a good defender. And again, at only 29 years old, she is a player that can really benefit with this back line because the pride back line hasn't been all that great lately and I think what one thing that Amanda Cromwell told me was that she wants this team to be able to build out of the back she wants this team to be good with the ball want to be confident with the ball and you need players to be able to do that and I think she sees Montefusco as one of those players that they can kind of build around in the defense so you trade away one of your promising young midfielders for a seasoned NWSL veteran defender and I think that was, as much as they traded away, the right move. Uh, because not only did they receive Montefusco in the trade, but they also got $30,000 in allocation money and O.L. Reigns' third-round draft pick in next year's draft. So that's quite a decent haul for one player, all things considered. And it fills a need for this Pride team. So all things considered, I thought that was a, a decent trade. 
Uh, like I mentioned before, they've already signed some of the other players. Michaela Colahan, aka Michaela Clough, as she is now known, uh, one of the arguably the best midfielders in and in, in the college game last year. Twenty two years old, out of BYU, she was one of the finalists for the Mackerman Trophy, I believe, and definitely somebody to build around in the midfield. Then you have players like Leah Pruitt, Darian Jenkins, and Julie Doyle. Jenkins, an NWSL veteran, and then Leah Pruitt and Julie Doyle coming out of uh, oh, Leah Pruitt, sorry. Leah Pruitt's coming out of O.L. Reign. She was traded in the uh, trade a couple weeks ago, and Julie Doyle being one of the draft picks out of Santa Clara. Um, also, who has not signed but is probably going to sign, in fact, I know she's going to sign, uh, Kaylee Collins, who was out of USC, uh, currently not officially signed but is is basically going to be the third string keeper for this pride team so that's really all that the pride are going on right now they, they they've made a lot of moves right now you know it looks promising like you said kyle it's it's definitely some future coming along outside of what's on the field uh aline rice uh has been hired as the goalkeeper coach i kind of teased it like a week or two ago, whenever we did our last show saying, Hey, uh, she's got to retire first before she comes and plays or becomes the coach for the pride. And, um, well she has, and now she's with the pride. Uh, I don't think she's officially joined the team. She hasn't been in town just yet, but I may be wrong. I have to double check about that. Um, she played for UCF under Amanda Cromwell. She coached at UCLA under Amanda Cromwell. She knows, Amanda Cromwell <laughs> really well. In fact, Amanda Cromwell once talked about Rice as being every coach's dream player and every player's dream teammate. So that seems seems like a good thing. Yes, yes. Um, this seems like what you want in, a, in an incoming coach. Yes, yes. She she has also just been. She's only thirty two years old, so she's actually younger <laughs> than some of the players on the Pride. Uh, more notably. Aaron McLeod, who's 39 years old, and she's going to be coaching. So uh, it's a definitely an interesting relationship that will be with goalkeeper coach and goalkeeper proper. But uh, Rice is, is familiar with the Orlando area, obviously going to UCF, and has played for the Brazilian national team up until this past year. A lot of experience under her belt. Hopefully it translates to being a very good goalkeeper coach now with the Orlando Pride. And then outside of that, to wrap up Pride or NWSL talk in general, since we didn't talk about it last week, the NWSL collective bargaining agreement has been passed and ratified. I talked to Cindy LaRue about it. She was extremely excited about it. Uh, even Michelle Akers, as I asked, Cindy LaRue was like cheering behind me in the background. Uh, so I think everybody is very excited about the future of the league. Uh, free agency is a big part of this new CBA where over the course of the next five years they'll be getting free agency for longer tenured players shortening down over the course of the next few years to shorter tenured players so by the time 2026 rolls around if you've been in the league for three years you qualify for free agency Uh, whereas next year I believe it's six years of service you qualify for free agency so it gives a little bit more freedom for some of the players to be able to go where they want rather than having to be at the mercy of their other teams. So I think that's a great step in the right direction. They've also raised the minimum salary to $35,000, which, wow, uh, <laughs> makes you really think about what the previous minimum was, which was 
less than 20,000, if I recall correctly. What's my thought? Reading everything was like, this is a big move for NWSL. This is a good improvement for the players. But things are still really not great comparatively. Mm. They're, they're in the right direction. And that's, yeah, like, that's the like, good thing. The women's game is moving in the right direction, the way it's treated. And, and this isn't unique to soccer, unfortunately. And this isn't even unique to the United States. Although it is at least nice that like overseas... We're seeing women's teams that are associated with, you know, if you're if you're the women's team at, I was going to use Barcelona, but that's a bad example because <laughs> of how in debt they are. But you know what I mean? If you're a women's team at, at a at a big club like a Chelsea or a Manchester United or whatever, like a club that has a lot of money, they can pour money into the women's club and it doesn't affect their bottom line. They don't really like that's why they're willing to invest the money into it because it it doesn't really like they're able to do it. Mm-hmm. it's not like and their goals while their goals are obviously to make money they know that if they're able to increase the women's game by investing in it at the end of the day it just makes the whole game bigger which makes them more money overall which is their primary concern I understand there there are very few if any altruistic owners out there mm. but you're seeing like 10 years ago you would say that that women's soccer the biggest place for women's soccer was the united states like we were the best at it as a national team things were and maybe 10 years i'm, I'm using a wrong number but you think this was just the place to be and now it's really not because we've we've realized again with soccer the global sport the way the rest of the globe has done it tends to be the more successful the the better way to do it um However, I'm hoping that some of these changes we're starting to see on the on the women's side will, will continue to increase. And again, just like there's lots of changes I'd like to see on the men's side to become more like it's done overseas, I'd like to see those done on the women's side as well because I think investing in that league, just because the league is not making you a lot of money, A, it's not making you a lot of money because you're not investing anything into it, mm-hmm. right? You're not, you're not, you don't care about it. They're not putting any care into it but i don't know i'd like i it's a promising change but it's also nowhere even remotely near good enough yeah yeah i i would probably agree with that i think that there is still a lot to be done but progressive steps are being made and hopefully that will continue over the next couple of years right so with that i think we'll move on to the last parts of our show first off where are they now taking a look back at some of the former Orlando City and Pride players that have been through the team through the course of their tenures and histories. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at John Rooney, a.k.a. Wayne Rooney's brother. Um, John originally came to Orlando back in 2012, was a big signing at the time because they had just come off their championship run for their first ever, because that was their first year in existence, uh usl pro championship now uh john rooney did not pan out uh he played a total of nine games with the lions and scored two goals Uh, but that didn't stop people from buying purple john rooney jerseys uh and he was wearing number 10 so you know hey rooney's playing for orlando city you used to be able to say and uh that was something Um, but it never worked out he ended up going 
to a number of teams after Orlando City, and it really didn't work out anywhere for him. Uh, he joined Barnsley, didn't play a game. He joined Bury, played three games. Uh, he went to Chester on loan, which was a National League team, played four games, then signed for Chester, played there for two seasons, played over 100 games, and that again, that is below the professional division. It's in, it, it, well, not professional division. It's in the National League, so it's not... Uh, League Two or League One, it's below that. Uh, He also played for Wrexham, which uh, has gone into the news lately because they're currently owned by Rob McElhenney and... um, Ryan Reynolds? Thank you. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. Again, two very famous actors bought into Wrexham, but of course, that was well after John Rooney had come and gone. Played for a number of different teams like Barrow and Stockport County. Again, all National League teams, uh, but now has signed for Barrow, who is currently in League Two. So he has worked his way back up to the tiers of English football that actually would, you know, basically appear in FIFA, uh, because those are considered the the top tiers of English football. So he's worked his way back up at age 31 to uh, that level of English football. So credit to him, but uh, for Orlando City's sake didn't really work out and that is our update on where are they now for orlando city's john rooney uh formerly orlando city's i i do think that tech means that usl days are on the city were a more competitive squad than only two so usl in the days were more competitive than league two yeah it's probably right probably accurate i'd say orlando city at least were probably they could probably take on a us uh, a a League Two side, and probably play them pretty well. Um, but uh, back in the day, I mean, Orlando City played and, and beat some of the Premier League teams at some points. There, there, <laughs> there was a level of competition there that um, I guess John Rooney just couldn't hack, hack it with. Never really got a full story of why he he didn't play. Like there was just there were moments where he was just gone. Like he wasn't even in the eighteen. And then you show up for like a game and then be gone again. And it's like, what's going on? Why is why is this big name signing not playing for Orlando City? But never really got a full on answer from Adrian. Anyways, that's that. It is time to finish out the show with weird news and red cards slash playing advantage. And uh, well, Kyle, I know you got some really good weird news for this week. You know, I did, and then I lost the link to it. So I'm kind oh, of working my way oh, down to find Kyle. it. I know, I know. It's very disappointing. In my defense, I used the link to... Oh, it's where I looked up John Rooney. That's that's why I was on it. It's <laughs> still going to take me a minute to find the one I was talking about. All right, can I, really can I just go ahead and do mine? Dude, do yours. Please do yours. All right. I just find this funny. I know we say no politics on the show all the time, but I just found this hilarious. Boris Johnson's new press chief basically came out and said that Boris Johnson is, quote, not a complete clown. And that, that doesn't that just give you a lot of just, just confidence in the British Parliament and the British government by your new press chief saying, yeah, my boss isn't a complete clown. Just, it's just amazing confidence that is exuding from, from England right now. That's about what I expect from, from England, though. Oh, yeah. I've got a I've got a good one here. Oh my gosh! It just, I have the headline, but I I lost the article. 
A competitive eater defeats a giant bunny in a salad eating contest. Which <laughs> is just, I mean, this is nice and lighthearted. Um, oh, I've got to allow ads to view this article. So that's disappointing. So I'm not going to click it. So I'm going to make up my own story. <laughs> that this, this competitive eater, whose name is Edie McEaterson, was able to defeat a giant bunny in a salad eating competition. As we know, rabbits like to eat lots of lots of grass, lots of lettuces, lots of salad type material and so for a bunny to defeat them in, or for a human to defeat a bunny in a salad eating contest is quite impressive especially a giant bunny it's a it's a thick boy oh lord he come and we 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 support him <laughs> we stand fat bunnies here on the orlando saga show naturally uh if, if you want to know the actual story uh reina huang was the name of the competitive eater Uh, And the bunny was named Honey. And uh, the animal is described as a, quote, lettuce-loving mega bunny, according to the New York Post. And during the competition, Huang, the person, was able to eat three and a half pounds of salad in 10 minutes. Uh, Unfortunately for Honey, the event apparently spooked the animal and didn't eat a single leaf of lettuce. So, Wow, what what a wuss. Yeah, just kind of a bit, not really a competition. It's like, hey, that bunny was too scared to eat. So is this really a story? Uh, kind of not. I liked it better when I didn't know the details and I could just feel like the person was just this like excellent <laughs> salad eater. Because now I'm disappointed and that bunny is an embarrassment. Because he got scared? Yeah. That poor little we bunny. No longer, we, we no longer stand the thick bunny here on the Orlando Soccer Show. Oh, wow. It's amazing how we things have changed. We don't, we, don't, we don't wimp out, okay? When someone challenges you to an eating competition, you eat, damn it. Maybe I mean, maybe he had a nibble. I don't know. All right. He's a coward. All right. Well, let's move on to red cards and playing advantage to end the show. Tell me your red card slash playing advantage. Do you have a playing advantage or a red card? (laughs) Oh, God. Of course I have a red card. Have you been alive in the last couple of years? Nobody has a playing advantage. It's all fake news. Uh, First of all, first of all, first of all, let me just, I guess I will briefly play advantage to Publix and their chicken tender subs. The sweet, glorious goodness of tendies stuffed between some bread. And in my case, I put on pepper jack cheese, boar's head, of course, not an animal, bacon, and and as it is a sandwich, I include mayonnaise. It is a top-tier meal meant for a king. And I was feeling very kingly eating my first half of it on Sunday. I was very excited. It was very great. Some nice multi-grain bread so I could pretend I was feeling healthy. It was It was really... It was a great meal, and I put it in the fridge to save it for the next day so I could have it a second day. So for a second day, on a Monday where everyone's feeling quite depressed and sad, (laughs) I could feel kingly. I could feel like life was maybe worth living. (laughs) And when I went to get said sandwich to enjoy on this Monday morning, but the sandwich was nowhere to be found. And I had discovered someone had eaten said sandwich. I have since discovered who ate the sandwich. I will not out them on this esteemed podcast. But I would like to give a giant red card to anyone who eats anyone else's food, especially if it is a pub sub. Especially, especially if it is a chicken tender pub sub. It is outrageous. It is horrific. It is 
it will take me years to recover from this tragedy. Until somebody buys you a new sub, right? Nobody has done that. Nobody has bought me a new sub. I have gone all day with no sub. You should probably just send whoever ate your sandwich this link of this show. Just been like, hey, listen to the last five minutes. Tell, you know, me, what you, tell me what you think. That's uh, a good point. <laughs> I just I want my chicken tendy sub. <laughs> and so, man, if you see food in the fridge and it's not your food, don't eat it. It's not yours. And if you open up a sub, now if you see like a can of pickles and you don't know whose pickles they are, you want to eat the pickle, fine. Who cares? The pickles are disgusting. If you see a beautiful Publix bakery bread surrounding some Publix deli chicken tendies with some nice mayo lathered on both sides, top and bottom. That's the way to do it, by the way. With a little bit of, I think there was a slice or two of extra baking compared to what they normally give, right? If you see that, and you know, well, I didn't purchase this sub. Nobody purchased this sub for me. It's not yours. Don't fucking touch it. That's my red card. And I'll take the suspension <laughs> that the the FA has given me. I heard what you said about me a few days ago, yeah. And I don't think that you can separate business from friendship. I'm your friend. But if I ever see you in the ring, I can beat you. Don't you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Words from the wise. I had to get Macho Man in there right before we end the show. Cannot be forgotten. What about you, Austin? Where is our, our red card or playing advantage? I don't know, man. I, I got a few different red cards, but none I'd really want to share on the show. It's fair. It's fair enough. Yeah, no, no. Honestly, I, I'm pretty good, pretty, pretty, pretty good here today. Uh, and so with that, I think we'll we'll end on your rant about chicken tender subs. I think that was a nice way to wrap up the show. Uh, we'll be back next week or the week after, uh, depending on obviously our schedules. But uh, be sure to follow along on social with all our stuff. Uh, if you haven't figured out already, uh, Mike Romajo and I are basically taking over Julia Poe's role in The Sentinel. Uh, so if you don't follow Mike, it's by Mike Romajo on Twitter. And if you don't follow me, it's uh, at AustinDavid22. So uh, we'll keep you updated on all the latest in Orlando City and Pride over the course of this season as uh, we work as a team together to kind of figure things out. So for Kyle Foley, I'm Austin David. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Orlando Soccer Show. We will be back uh, sometime in the next two weeks. So uh, take care. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye now. You're dirty brown water trash. And you're always going to be dirty brown water trash. <laughs>